Amen. It's good to be with you this evening. It's good to gather around the word. Let's uh, let's just open in prayer and let's um, let's see how the Lord wants to minister to our hearts tonight. Father, I thank you for the word. I thank you for what you want to do. Lord, it's, it's even as we just sung. We just want you. Nothing else will do. And so, Lord, as we gather around your word, let it penetrate our heart so that we want more of you and all of you. And that, Lord, we would move into deeper, not only deeper worship, but even a, uh, a deeper presence with you and deeper um, understanding of you. And, Lord, even a deeper demonstration of the power of God. So, Lord God, that we can minister to people by what has been ministered to us. But, Lord, we ask you tonight, begin with us here. Minister by your word as we gather together. Open hearts, open ears, and open my mouth to minister your word according to your spirit and according to your will in Jesus' name. Amen. You know, if there's one word that I can use to describe uh, our current culture, it's indifference. Indifference is a lack of concern, interest, or sympathy. We see it in our government. When laws are passed, or legislation is proposed, regardless of what the majority of people think or want, it doesn't matter to those in power. All that matters to them is that they pass what they think is good for us. That's indifference. Because there's no sympathy there. There's no concern. There's no interest. It's a self-interest kind of mode there. So. We see in power that they move in indifference. The abortion industry kills babies with no regard of sympathy or the life that they've just ended. That's indifference. How a woman can come in with a child in her womb and leave without that child in her womb and that baby discarded and it doesn't move a person to remorse. It doesn't move a person to conviction. That's indifference. With no concern for the life of the child, no interest for the life of the child, and no sympathy for the life of the child. That's indifference. Because of, culture and, because of cultural indifference to one another, our nation stands at the brink of ruin. See, we don't have sympathy for someone else if we learn what their political affiliation is. If something happens, well, it's good. We don't have sympathy for people that aren't like-minded. That's indifference. This, this climate of indifference has even affected the church. 
And it's affected the church in a number of ways. I'm going to go in it in just a little bit. But people tend to treat the church now as leaders have told us that the church is not essential. See, because many churches closed their doors during the pandemic, many believers have yet to return to the house of worship. To them, they thought that they now had freedom to do what they want because, well, we don't need the church. We don't need God telling us what to do. We don't need to gather with Christians. We can do it on our own. And yet, in Hebrews 10.25, Paul writing to the church, under the unction of the Holy Spirit, says, not forsaking of our own assembling together, as is the habit of some, but encouraging one another, and all the more as you see the day drawing near. What's the day? The return of the Lord. So if, if ever we can look and see the temperature of a culture, temperature of the world, and, and the climate of the world, and we can see the dysfunction of the world, the sin of the world, the coming of the Lord is, is more evident now than ever before. And so if Paul is saying we need to gather together and not forsake that, as some have, what? Because we need to encourage, encourage one another as we see the day approaching. So why do we gather together here? We gather together here, one, because, well, the doors are open. Two, we're being encouraged by the word. And three, we're in expectation for the coming of the Lord. And we're to encourage one another in that. See, some would say, ah, Jesus ain't coming soon. Ah, it's the same thing. We hear the same thing every Sunday. It's the same thing. Blah, 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 blah. It's the same thing. We come for worship. We hear the word. We go out. Ah, that's indifference. And some people would say, I can do it at home. I don't need the church. But that's indifference to the word. Because the word tells us to gather together and not to forsake it. Now, one thing I am very appreciative of our pastor is that we may have closed the door for a season out of respect for people, but we never stopped preaching the word. We did it, we did it on video. Pastor did it on video. Empty seats. Soon as the weather got nice, in the back of his pickup truck. Soon as it got too hot, we came right in here and we've not left since. Because there was no indifference to the word. There was no indifference to his calling. There was no indifference to the anointing. And so what we see is that some people have fallen away and have taken an indifferent attitude towards church. Now, Jesus himself experienced indifference from a multitude of people. The religious rulers. In Mark eleven twenty seven through 28, they came again to Jerusalem, Jesus and the disciples, that being. And as he was walking into, in the temple, the chief priests and the scribes 
and the elders, they came to him and began to say to him, by what authority are you doing these things? And who gave you this authority to do these things? See, what they were saying to Jesus is, you're not in our club. What gives you the right to do what you're doing? You weren't schooled under the, under the scholars that schooled us. What gives you the right to do what you're doing? And they treated him with indifference. They questioned his authority. First of all, they had no right to question his authority. And the other thing, too, is, is if they'd seen the miracles that he was performing, feeding the 5,000, feeding the 4,000, healing the sick, casting out demons, opening the eyes of the blind, opening the ears of the deaf, loosening the tongues of the mute, they saw this. And yet they questioned his authority. They treated him with indifference. Who are you? Is basically, or actually, what they said was, Who do you think you are? They treated him with indifference. The crowd in Luke 11, 14 and 15. And he was casting out a demon, and it was mute. When the demon had gone out, the mute, the mute man spoke. Try saying that three times fast. And the crowds were amazed. But, there's always some buts in the crowd. Some of them said, he cast out demons by Beelzebub, the ruler of demons. Now, this is, again, remarkable. The crowd is there. Jesus is performing a miracle in front, of the, in front of the crowd. Now, he's not doing it to bring glory to himself. He always done to bring glory to the Father, but to display the kingdom of God. So he displays the kingdom of, of God. The crowd is amazed, but some are indifferent to the miracle that they've just witnessed with their own eyes. Let me tell you something. If you've seen a demon being cast out of someone, would you be amazed or would you say, or would you, or would you be appalled? Or would you be indifferent? Eh, it was just a demon. Right? We'd be amazed. We'd be in awe. We'd be like, wow, and we're supposed to be doing that anyway. These signs will follow those that believe. They'll cast out demons in my name. It's supposed to be secondhand work. And so here we see the crowd treating Jesus with indifference. Ah, he's just doing it because, well, he's part of the de demonic force. And so he's just casting out demons under the power of demonic force. Now, one of the things that when I read this a few weeks ago, I kind of shook because Jesus had said something. And he said, look, you can say something bad about my father, and you can say something bad about me. But if you say something bad about the Holy Spirit, you cannot be forgiven. And yet the people in the crowd blasphemed the Holy Spirit, and they did it to their own detriment. They did it out of indifference, not only to the Lord, but to this power and the, and, and the, and the Spirit of the Lord. And so they treated the things of God with indifference. Pontius Pilate. 
when Pilate saw that he was accomplishing nothing, like most governors, but rather that a riot was starting, nothing new there, right? He took water and he washed his hands in front of the crowd saying, I am innocent of this man's blood. See to this yourselves. Now, as a governor, he had the authority and the power, of course, to release Jesus. We know Now, we know that he, he had no power, only that which God had given him. And we know that the will of the Lord was for Jesus to suffer and to die. But here's the thing. Because he was more into pleasing man than standing up for something right and standing up for an innocent man that he knew was innocent, he treated him indifferently. He washed his hand and he said, okay, you take care of him. So he treated his position as a governor with indifference. He treated the crowd with indifference. And he treated someone, Jesus, whom he had a personal conversation with. And he asked, and when he had asked him, are you a king? He said, it is right that you say that I'm a king. But he said, my kingdom is not of this world, because if it was, he said, then, then, then you know, my, my, there would be a, a fight. Uh, there would be a different fight. But here's the thing. He told him who he was. And, and Pilate knew that this man was different than any man that he had ever had to judge before, and yet he treated him with indifference. Matter of fact, he released a criminal. He treated the criminal better then he treated the innocent. Nothing new here, huh? But we see the indifference that Jesus went through as well. If the people of Jesus' day treated him indifferently, we must all the more guard against having the same heart attitude. See, we have to be careful that we don't treat the presence of the Lord with indifference, the word of the Lord with indifference, or the ministry of the Lord with indifference. See, pastor, you've been, you've been pastor here how long? It's been a while. Over 20 years. And what can happen in a church is that we can get used to the pastor ministering, that we become indifferent. We can look and you can look at me and you can say, you know, well, we've heard Pastor Mike and yeah, you know, and this and that. But, you know, it, it seems like it's the same thing time and time again. We come in, we worship, we hear the word, and then we go. And, and we don't know how much of what we've missed by at, at times being indifferent to whom God has placed as shepherds over the body. And so we have to guard against indifference. And I want, let's, uh, if you can, let's turn in Mark chapter 6 and let's read Jesus' teaching at Nazareth. I'm going to be reading. John chapter 6, verses 1 through 6. So it says here, Jesus went out from there and came into his hometown, and his disciples followed him. When the Sabbath came, 
he began to teach in the synagogue. And the many listeners were astonished, saying, where did this man get these things? And what is this wisdom given to him and such miracles as these performed by his hands? Is not this the carpenter, the son of Mary, and the brother of James and Joseph, and Judas and Simon? Are not his sisters here with us? And they took offense at him. And Jesus said to them, A prophet is not without honor except in his hometown and among his own relatives and in his own household. And he could do no miracle there except that he laid his hands on a few sick people and healed them. And he wondered at their unbelief. And he was going around the villages teaching. Now, if we're going to be followers of the Lord Jesus Christ, we have to guard our hearts in these three areas. And so I want to show you these three areas here in Mark chapter 6. The first thing that we have to guard our heart against is becoming familiar with the presence of the Lord. See, what happens is, is as we see here in, in Mark, Jesus is in the synagogue on, on the Saturday. On the Saturday. He's, on, he's in the synagogue on the Sabbath. And he teaches them. And they don't recognize who's teaching them. They're looking at him as if he's just the carpenter. They're looking at him as if he's just the son of Mary. They're looking at him as if he's just, you know, he's here with his brothers and his sisters. You see, to take for granted the presence of the Lord is to treat him with indifference. See, what happened in this dynamic here is kind of interesting. See, they testified themselves of what they had heard. They testified about witnessing his wisdom. And they testified about the miracles that he had done at his hands. They knew of the they knew of, of who Jesus, of what Jesus was doing. But what they did was they got uncomfortable with who Jesus was because they only recognized him for what they knew him to be. They only knew him to be the carpenter. They only knew him to be the son of Mary. They only knew him through his brothers and sisters. And then it says they became offended at him. The reason why they became offended was because they became uncomfortable. And so when you become uncomfortable with something, you begin to make an excuse so that you can feel comfortable again. You can grab your comfort. You know, it's kind of like Linus. You're walking around with your comfort blanket. You know, and, and, and you're holding it tight, and if somebody snatches it out of your hand, immediately you become uncomfortable. Well, what Jesus wants to do with the church nowadays, in, in this time and in this place, is to make people uncomfortable. See, if we stay comfortable, okay, and we don't allow Jesus to make us uncomfortable, or we don't allow the presence of the Lord to become stronger here, because then things are going to get awfully uncomfortable. 
then we can't do, then oh, if something happens that makes us uncomfortable, oh, somebody speaks in tongues, well, that makes me uncomfortable. Let's go find another church. But God wants to, to display his power in greater dimensions. But will we allow him? Or, or will we, we remain comfortable? See, sometimes when God moves, it can get a little weird. It can get a little uncomfortable. Oh, I'm not used to that. You know, our bodies tighten up, you know. What's, oh, what's going on over there? You know. Somebody gets excited and begins to scream and oh, oh and oh, 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 that person's acting weird. We get we get too uncomfortable with spiritual things. And this is what happened with the people in Jesus' day in the synagogue. They came, became uncomfortable with who he was, and so what they did was they, uh, they went back to what they knew him to be. And so they were familiar with the Jesus they knew. They were unfamiliar with the Jesus that was in front of them, and it made them uncomfortable, and they took offense at him. And so we have, to be, we have to come to church and allow ourselves to become uncomfortable so that the presence of the Lord can move, that the power of the Lord can move, that we can see greater dimensions of the ministry of Jesus Christ in our own midst and allow ourselves to be uncomfortable. See, we're familiar. Uh, we're familiar. Uh, we're familiar. Like, we know what's going to happen. But if we want a greater dimension of the, of the presence of the Lord, of the power of the Lord, signs and miracles happening, we have to allow ourselves to become uncomfortable. We just sung about where the spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom. Okay. How many people here are baptized in the Holy Spirit and speak in tongues? Okay. Where the spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom. How come we're not speaking in tongues? And so if we're not practicing the simple things that we have, then how are we going to grow in greater dimensions with other things? If we're worried about what other people think, or if we're worried if we hear it, that it might make us uncomfortable. And so we are like the people in Jesus' day is that we like the comfort. Jesus, we've got you figured out. We know what you do. We sing our worship songs. We love worship. Lord, we do. We love worshiping you. We do. We love your presence. And then we love the preaching of the word. But then we love to go home. And not stick around and see what you're going to do. Or not press in and see what more there is of you. And so what happens is, is sometimes we act in the same manner as the, as the people in Jesus' time when they were questioning who he was, or they put him in a box. This is who you are to us. Stay that way because it keeps us comfortable. And so we have to guard against becoming familiar with the presence of the Lord. Nan Jones, a Christian author, wrote about familiarity, and she said, Familiarity becomes the danger of something becoming commonplace or ordinary. 
you know, we're familiar with it to the point that it's taken at face value. We don't need to pay attention to it any longer because we assume we know it all. We, we, we assume we know all there is to know about it. See, when we assume a familiarity, we sacrifice the intimacy of the moment. And what God wants is greater intimacy from us, even to the point of where it makes us uncomfortable. Now, God doesn't, the Lord doesn't need our permission to do something, but yet he would like for us to be able to say, Lord, do whatever you want in the service, regardless if it makes us uncomfortable. As long as it brings you here and you do things according to your good pleasure and we see your kingdom advance, and we become excited at the things that you're doing now that we are able to take it out and bring it to, to the lost. Bring it to those who question, why do you go to church? Why do you go to church every Sunday and hear the, pet, the, pet, the pastor preach? Why do you go to church? And that's a good question. Why do we go to church? If not to see more of the Lord. Area number two that we need to guard against is dishonor within his household. Now, in Matthew chapter 12, God bless you. I'm going to go to it real quick because I, I, I got a feeling that I'm going to mess it up if I try to paraphrase it. So I'm, I, I want to I get to it. Matthew chapter 12. Verses 46 and 46 through 50. Here it is. Here it is. While he was still speaking to the crowds, Jesus is all about the crowds. And this is, and, and, and it's like Pastor preached a, 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 a number of weeks ago that when Jesus is here, you don't have to, you don't have to draw, Jesus draws crowds. If Jesus shows up in greater dimension here, there'll be a crowd. Now, you may get uncomfortable because somebody took your seat. <laughs> but Jesus can draw a crowd. I, I, I can't draw a crowd. Pastor Rick can't draw a crowd. We've been at this a while. We've got you and we're happy. But we want more, right? We all want more. The presence of Jesus Allowing ourselves to be uncomfortable. More of Jesus is going to draw more people. And so, listen here. So we see he's speaking to the crowd. And behold, his mother, remember, we're going back to the mother and the brothers again. His mother and his brothers were standing outside seeking to speak to him. Someone said to him, Behold, your mother and your brothers are standing outside seeking to speak to you. But Jesus answered the one who was telling him and said, Who is my mother and who are my brothers? And stretching out his hands towards his disciples, he said, Behold, my mother and my brothers. For whoever does the will of my Father who is in heaven is my brother, my sister, and my mother. And I want you to hold on to that for a second because Jesus, when, when they took offense at Jesus, Jesus took offense to them too. Jesus, Jesus got offended. 
he gets offended at lack of faith and unbelief. That's what offends him. And he got offended at their lack of faith and their unbelief. Remember, it says they took offense at him. What did they take offense at? Because they looked to put him in a box and they didn't believe who he was. And so what happens, he says here, so he says to them, a prophet is not without honor except in his hometown and among his own relatives and in his own household. Now, what is one thing that Jesus said about the church that it will be called, what is it called? My house will be called a house of prayer for all nations. So this is the house of the Lord, right? And are we not in the house of the Lord? Are we not in the household of the Lord? Amen. So what he's saying here transcends time. See, when he's speaking to those that, that, that put him in a box and were offended at who, they, who he really was, and, and, and so what happens here, he says to them, a prophet is not without honor except in his hometown and among his own relatives and in his own household. See, we're the household of faith, are we not? Yes, and sometimes what we have to guard against is dishonor in the household. Dishonoring the presence of the Lord. Dishonoring the word of the Lord. Dishonoring the man of the house. And we have to guard against these things. See, because, because of their becoming offended, he rebuked them. And, and this is what happened. There were many listeners, as the, as the, as the word is telling us, that they testified to his wisdom and they testified about the miracles, but they left unchanged. See, what, what, what dishonors the Lord is, is that when we come here and we're burdened with burdens, or we come here and we're sick, or we come here and there's trouble in, in, our, in our own home, whether it's with our spouse or it's with our children, and we come here and we worship the Lord and we hear the preaching and then we leave unchanged. That dishonors the Lord. These people left unchanged. They didn't change their opinion of him. He's the carpenter. He's, Mary's son. he's, he's the son of Mary. His brothers are here. His sisters are here. Do you understand? They sat under the ministry, the preaching of Jesus, and they left unchanged. And it dishonored the Lord. They were this close to a miracle. And they turned and walked away. Sometimes we're this close to a miracle, and we turn and we walk away. The word hits us, and, 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 and we're feeling the word. We're agreeing with the word. It's ministering to us, and instead of moving, and instead of saying, you know, Pastor, that word, agree with me. Can you agree with me in prayer over so, such and such a thing? Instead, what do we do? All right, well, we receive the blessing. It's time to go. But we were this close to a breakthrough. And we've just dishonored the word. And so what we have to guard against is dishonor in the house of the Lord. 
you, you, you know, sometimes, you know, well, you know, I don't want people to know what I'm going through. But then you're going to keep going through it until, until somebody knows what you're going through. And so what we have to understand is, is that we have to guard against, or what we have to do now is cut off dishonoring the word of the Lord. We have to cut off dishonoring the presence of the Lord. We have to cut off dishonoring Jesus in his own household. Because he says, a prophet is not without honor except in his own hometown, among his own relatives, and in his own household. So Jesus says, the people that dishonor me are the people that gather to, to, to meet with me weekly. They dishonor me. How? Because what they do is they hear the word or they're moved by, by the presence of the Lord, or they're moved by the, a song service, and instead of entering in, they turn and walk away and say, wow, that was a good service, when it could have been a great service. Or we turn and we walk away, and we allow ourselves not to be changed. See, these people in the synagogue did not allow themselves to be changed. What happened to Peter? What happened to James? What happened to John? What happened to Andrew? What happened to the rest of the disciples except Judas? They were changed. What happened to the woman caught in adultery? She was changed. What happened to the demoniac? He was changed. Why? Because they, 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 they came under the presence of the Lord and they responded to who Jesus was, and they were changed. There's always something in a life that needs to change. There are things in my life that need to change. And I dishonor the Lord because I don't want to change. Do you, do you understand what I'm saying? Or it's going to get uncomfortable. Or I have to give up the pet project. Do you understand what I'm saying? And so we stay complacent and we dishonor the Lord. And God wants us to honor him in a greater dimension by allowing him to help us to change, to help us to get free, to help us in our families, to help us in our communities, to help us with our children. And so if we honor the Lord in such a way that we respond to his presence, we respond to his preaching, we respond to the man of God, and we mix it with faith, then our lives can change. Or we can take the same attitude as those that were at the synagogue that day and had it all figured out in who Jesus was and left unchanged. See, when his, when his followers gather to worship and they gather around the word and they don't mix it with faith and leave unchanged, again, it's something that just is dishonorable. It's, 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 it's as, as it says in the, in the word, Jesus was amazed at their lack of faith or their lack of belief. And so we have to guard against dishonoring the Lord in his own household. Number three, 
area to guard against is the stain of unbelief. And it is a stain, unbelief. It is something that if we don't shake it off, if we don't remove it, it stays. You ever have a stain on your favorite shirt and it just ain't coming out and you just ruined your shirt? Funny, ever since I got this, I got stains all here where it used to hit the floor and now it doesn't hit the floor. So I end up with stains here. Uh, get a bib. You're right. I never thought about that. I have a, or I have just a, a runway here where everything hits here. But no, um, it is a stain on us if we walk around with unbelief. Uh, Jesus can't do that or... Jesus won't do that for me. He may do it for them, but he won't, do, he won't do it for me. There's a stain on us. And God wants to remove the stain of unbelief. He wants to tell you that you're good enough for a miracle. You're good enough for his presence. You're good enough for his mercy. You're good enough to win favor. Not only to win favor, you have the favor, Lord. You don't have to win it. It was already won on the cross. If you've accepted Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, and you're walking in obedience to the word to the best of your ability, you have his favor. You're walking in the favor of God. And so you can't say what you can't say, well, that's for that person, or yeah, I'd like that to happen, but it won't happen to me. That's unbelief. See. They thought they had Jesus figured out. And because they thought they had Jesus figured out, they took offense at him and they kept the stain of unbelief. They were, again, this close to freedom. And they walked away from it. They took offense at him. They, they threw their nose in the air. How dare he? Who does he think he is? And walked out. And it says that, it says that Jesus laid his hands on a few and healed them. I think Jesus just did it out of mercy and grace, not out of the fact that they wanted it, but that he just did it. Because it didn't say anyone came up looking for healing. It doesn't say that in there at all. It says he, he laid his hands on a few sick people because out of compassion he saw someone was sick. So he went up and he healed them. But no one asked for healing. Sometimes Jesus is moved by his own compassion. Heals. Remember, it says in the word that if we are unfaithful, he remains faithful because he cannot be untrue to himself. So he is faithful. And so we have to guard against the stain of unbelief. One man cried out, I do believe. Help me overcome my unbelief. And he saw a miracle. A crowd gathered to hear Jesus preach and took offense and remained in unbelief and witnessed no miracles to the amazement of Jesus. See, if you believe Jesus can, he will. If you don't, he won't. It's really that simple. If you believe Jesus can do it, he can do it. All it takes is you to say, yes, you can. I love that song that we sang last Sunday. Um, I forget how it goes. Um, don't, don't you tell me he can't do it. Don't, wow. Wow, I was like, oh, that's, that was powerful. 
Don't you tell me he can't do it. And they were talking about mental illness. We were, we were singing about um, uh, addictions. We were singing about broken, broken marriage. I'm like, wow, what a song. What a song. And I was, I was energized by that. You could clap. Yes, Kelly, give it up. But yes, what a song. Don't you tell me he can't do it. Well, that energizes your faith. But the stain of unbelief. If you believe Jesus can, he will. And even if you don't believe he can, but you stay, but you're still communicating with him, help me, just like the man. Lord, I do believe, but help me overcome my unbelief. You're in the you're in the you're in the place to receive a miracle. Yes, there is obstacles. That man faced obstacles, but Jesus kept telling him, you know, just believe in me, just stay strong. Believe in me. You know, he was getting bad news after bad news after bad news. And Jesus said to him, just believe in me, just believe in me. And the man confessed, I, I do believe, but help me overcome my unbelief. And he got what he was looking for. He got his prayer answered because he was real and honest with the Lord. And the Lord met him right where he was at. Struggling with his belief. Struggling. I, I do believe, but help me overcome my unbelief. I, Okay, I'm going to help you. I'm going to heal him. You've just overcome your unbelief. The crowd at the synagogue was under the ministry of Jesus. They heard him preach. They were astounded at his wisdom. They heard about all the miracles that were done at his hands. They took offense to him. And they left without receiving any miracle. Pastor Rick, I got to ask you a question. How many weeks have you been preaching on the miracles of Jesus? Nine weeks. Pastor's been preaching on the miracles of Jesus for nine weeks. Can I tell you something? No one has come up after service asking for a miracle. How can we listen to our pastor preaching on the miracles of Jesus and then not ask for a miracle? See, we have to mix faith with the word. So if, if there's preaching going on week after week about a miracle Jesus, guess what Jesus wants to do? Perform a miracle. But we've got the dose. We, the that was a good sermon. That was for you, Jesus is saying. As I'm trying to get your attention. I want to perform a miracle for you. I've been preaching for nine weeks, and you still haven't come up. That's astounding. And so what we have to do is we have to, wait, I'm hearing Jesus wants to perform a miracle. Been at, been at it for nine weeks, going on ten. I think it's time for me to get, break free, break through, and come up and get my miracle. Amen? Amen. See, what happens is we become so indifferent, complacent, that we're missing out on what Jesus wants to do for us, give us, break through for us. Maybe... You'll want a miracle for your family. 
a loved one that's not here, that's out in the throes of addiction, running with the wrong crowd, living a life of rebellion, and you're praying for God for a miracle, and someone's been preaching on a miracle for nine weeks, and you haven't gotten your miracle. You're this close to your miracle. All you have to do is mix the word with faith. Break the status quo. Let the roast burn. Go to the diner a little later. Get your miracle first. And everything else secondhand. So what I want to challenge you on is guard against the same attitude as those in, in Mark chapter 6. See, the challenge to us today is simple. The Lord challenges us <clears throat> to move from the familiar into deeper. Okay, yes, Lord, you, we've been here and we've done, but we want to go deeper. Teach us what it is to go deeper. See, you know, it's like telling a child to come out into the deeper end of the pool isn't going to take a child to go out the deeper end of the pool. What has to happen? The parent has to grab them, bring them to the deeper end of the pool to get them over their fear, to get them out from being uncomfortable. Do you hear what I'm saying? Then once they're in the deeper end of the pool and they feel safe, they start swimming. That's what it is when we say we want to go deeper, but Lord, not only call us deeper, take us deeper. That should be the cry of the, of the people of God here at Full Gospel Center. Lord, challenge us. You're challenging us to move out of the familiar and into the deeper. The other, the, the other challenge is this. The Lord challenging us to be more, to more deeply honor his presence among us. And the third challenge to us today is to believe him for who he is and what he can do to live lives changed. Brothers and sisters, you're this close to a miracle. Your miracle is coming on Sunday. Do you believe it? Receive it and act on it. Amen? Amen. God bless you.